Thank you for downloading this Mass Device radio podcast. In this 2010 interview, Mass Device's Brian Johnson spoke with Medtronic CEO William Hawkins about the Food and Drug Administration, healthcare reform, and the climate for mergers and acquisitions. Thank you for listening to Mass Device Radio. It really started when I was in university. I went to Duke University and was a part of what was one of the first, I think the first, accredited biomedical engineering programs. Graduated in uh, 1976 and uh, came out with a, with a kind of a skip of my step, wanting to do something to make a difference in the field of biomedical engineering and ended up going to work for a small little company that actually had uh, licensed the rights to the first ever use of ultrasound. It was a company called Carolina Medical Electronics that was um, had a, was a private company based in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and they had an electromagnetic blood flow meter that was used during open-heart surgery uh, to measure blood flow during the cardiac anastomosis. And so they were in the flow business, and they, they actually acquired the rights to a technology that was developed at the University of Washington in Seattle by two guys, Dr. Jack Reed and Merrill Spencer, who um, you know, had figured out how to use sound waves to non-invasively look at flow in the carotid arteries with the primary, uh, um, and the initial indication being looking at the bifurcation of the carotids to detect people at risk for stroke. Anyway, so that was my first job, go to work for a company called Carolina Medical with uh, um, that had this established small business, but had then licensed this technology that was really the forefront of what is now, I mean, it's standard of care, I mean, ultrasound for many different applications. What role did you come in at? So I came in as a, as a kind of a sales engineer. Okay. And uh, so I was both in sales, but also, and I say sales, I, I tell people, uh, Unlike Medtronic today, when I was hired, uh, we had four salespeople for the United States. So I had one quarter of the United States as my territory. And I was both in selling the product and also servicing it. So I got to really use my engineering, but I also got to kind of develop my own style in terms of working with uh, different physician groups and uh, it was a great experience. Anything you learned then that you still use today? Well, I mean, a lot of things. I mean, one, I mean, it was it was a real education uh, as it relates to you know, how clinical practice it varies from group to group and surgeon to surgeon and the importance of you know, understanding what it is that they do and being able to really design your products and solutions based on your customers needs I mean it was became pretty clear to me at that point the appetite for innovation the fact that these physicians I mean were looking for tools to be able to improve care and I mean you go back I don't want to sound like I'm that old, but 
look at the tools that we were using back in the 70s versus what we're using today. And in fact, a lot of the advances in healthcare today are the result of what we've been able to provide them. I mean, angioplasty. I mean, before we had angioplasty, you were cracking chest. So, I mean, so yeah, it became, I mean, I, I learned one, the just the importance of listening to the customer, uh, really understanding you know, what their needs were and being able to then go back to the company and translate ideas into solutions. And when did you start at Medtronic? I started nine years ago. started in January of 2002. Over your tenure, you know, what do you think has been the most significant change either in the business of Medtronic uh, that you've witnessed that you think is something that was either pivotal for the company or something that sort of helped propel the company forward? Yeah, that's always a hard question, but I would say one of the major changes has been this paradigm shift from a kind of a product company to really almost a, a chronic disease management business. And technology's enabled us now to do things in a more integrated way that we really couldn't do even 10 years ago in terms of, I mean, I, I tell people, if you'd asked me five, when I first came into Medtronic, what was Medtronic? Well, we're a pacemaker company or a stent company. We're a pump company. And today I say, no, we are actually have the, the capabilities and the technology and the and the ability the, you know, the knowledge to be able to to treat heart failure, to treat diabetes, to treat degenerative disc disease. So we've, the, the real shift is thinking about ourselves in a bigger way, much more than just a, a device company. And as a consequence, I mean, we're now in biologics, we're in information technology, we're in medical technology. We've been able to really find a way to integrate biologics and devices and information technology, medical technology, to be more effective in helping our customers better manage the patient and the disease. To that effect, as a market leader, you're always sort of tasked with maybe not paving the road for the next great waves of technology, but you do sort of have a position where what you guys are interested in, pay attention to, does sort of set the bar for what the rest of the industry is going to do. What technologies are you seeing right now that you think excite you uh, that might, you know, even if we're talking 10, 15 years down the line, that, that you think yeah. are things to look out for in this space? Yeah. 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 First, I want to answer a question that you didn't ask because I want to dispel a myth about large companies not being sure. innovative. And, uh, and, and because I want to I'll, I'll then address what I see as some of the things that really excite me in terms of what we're going to be doing next to really go from, if you will, to from palliative care to restorative care, okay, which is where I'll get to. But you look back at what we've been able to, to do, I mean, how Medtronic has gotten to, to be what it is, I mean, and it's, it's not just acquisitions, I mean, you know, our success in basically creating a whole industry around cardiac rhythm management, both on the bradycardia side as well as on the tachycardia side. And then what we did with the whole field of cardiac resynchronization to really 
basically establish a platform for treating heart failure. The things that we've been able to do in terms of leveraging technology to and creating the ability to, to treat um, movement disorders and the, uh, the work we're doing in neuromodulation with deep brain stimulation. So, um, and then likewise, what we've done in the field of diabetes and pioneering the first continuous glucose monitoring sensors that allowed you to basically um, not just pump insulin, but really now monitor on a real-time basis blood sugar levels. So this company has been, I mean, I, 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 mean, I, I, I can't think of another company that has brought more sort of to the market in terms of real innovation you know, than Medtronic. Um, to me, what, it, what excites me about the future, it, it, again, it's this, it's kind of where we're going in terms of with this, the integration and the convergence, I should say, of sort of medical technology and biologics technology and information technology and the advancements in, in technologies like sensors and power systems and even the, the whole kind of wireless infrastructure that allows us to, to do things that, that get more at restoring or if not curing versus just kind of palliating. And uh, the, the future of, of drug device combinations to be able to really getting at Alzheimer's uh, or the things that we might be able to do to really treat uh, and resolve you know, Parkinson's, the things that we're doing, I mean, the regenerative medicine. I mean, I think at some point we're going to find ways of being able to implant cells and using our technology to deliver those cells to a target and be able to regenerate viable tissue versus just basically treating the symptoms. Now, without giving too much away, is that something that you're actually actively looking at right now? I mean, in terms of a business line, or is it so far beyond? No, we've been involved in a number. I mean, we've got a number of interesting partnerships uh, with a company, for example, a company, Alnylam, where we're uh, using our drug delivery technology to deliver siRNA to treat Huntington's disease. Okay, I mean, to basically to cure it. Uh, we are you know, got some interesting collaboration with some other pharmaceutical companies on work around Parkinson's uh, and even Alzheimer's. We've been involved with we had a a, a JV with uh, Genzyme on the regenerative medicine side. We were we did some interesting work together in trying to implant. Uh, skeletal myoblast into chronic infarct tissue. So yeah, there there are a number of areas that we've been exploring. Into those sort of partnerships, you recently, uh, your company recently invested fifteen million dollars in GI Dynamics, endobarrier, right. stomach yeah. sleeve. Can you kind of tell me a little bit about um, you know these investments that you make? Are you, right. Do you make a lot of these investments in, in sort of technology that you find interesting, or is it, yeah. was it just this one particular one that you found? No, oh. we, we uh, so we um, ha have probably 300 million plus 
today uh, spread around in minority investments in a, a number of different companies that, I mean, that are areas that we have a strategic interest in. Uh, it may be a, it may be a space that we're in today, but or maybe a space that we're interested, like diabetes, like obesity. I mean, we're not. I mean, we did uh, acquire a technology years ago that we thought would be a first step into the obesity field, and ultimately it didn't work like we thought it was. But it's an area that we still have a very strong interest, and so uh, we survey the landscape continuously to to see who's doing what, whether it's in sleep apnea, whether it's in Obesity, uh, whether it's uh, maybe the field of hypertension, you know, areas that uh, that really fit this kind of chronic disease mantra. Now, is this is this an equity stake that you take in the company, or is it you know, non-dilutive financing? No, we do. We do. We, one of the things that I think we, we could say about Medtronic is that we're very creative in terms of how we structure these deals. I mean, in some cases, it's just. It, it's straight equity. Uh, some cases uh, we'll, we'll do converts. In some cases we'll do debt financing. I mean, we'll do a number of. We, we'll, we there's no kind of cookie cutter method for um, how we might work with the company. Do you think it's it's almost incumbent upon you as a market leader to sort of help uh, companies that you see that might be potential? Blockbuster technologies in the future get off the ground, get them past that early stage. Yeah, I, 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 I think it's. Um, I mean, if you look at the kind of the ecosystem in you know, our industry, it's uh, it's one where there is this cycle of of replenishment, and the you know, and as one of the largest, if not largest, company with a very strong balance sheet um, and the, if you will, the, the humility to recognize that we're not necessarily going to be first with everything. We, um, you know, we have a very the deep bench of people that are constantly surveying the landscape to identify what we think could be disruptive or uh, are very important sort of uh, advancements in areas that we have a strategic interest. So uh, again, I come back to this ecosystem, this, this cycle of replenishment. We, we do. I mean, it, it, I wouldn't say it's it's viewed as uh, a responsibility as much as as an opportunity and uh, something that we have really kind of structured into our business model on innovation. 80 to 90 percent of our investment uh, is, is really organic. By that mean in developing technology that you're <coughs> yeah. designing? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's our ideas, you know, it's our technology. It, um, you know, we really go from concept to prototype to market introduction. I know you've been speaking ad nauseum about healthcare reform for the past couple of days, but mm -hmm. when we really dug into the device tax, you know, you're going to be paying probably the most of $200 million, any company. $150 to $200 million. Yeah. Maybe you could give me a little perspective onto how much that takes a bite out of 
initiatives that you do or does it? I mean, well, you think about it. I mean, we'll spend this year $1.5 billion roughly, maybe a little bit more on R&D. I mean, and there's uh, $200 million that we're paying a tax is money. Otherwise, it, we could be investing in research and development or investing in really the, the capabilities of, of getting the technology to the, you know, the different markets. And uh, you know, we're investing a lot in the emerging market area. And it, it's, a, it's a big investment to be able to create the infrastructure to be able to get and to train and then get access to the, you know, to the, the patients who need the technology. If you had your say in it, you know, how would we pay for health care reform? Do you think you have a responsibility at all as a company who's creating tremendous profits on in the healthcare industry to pay for some of the bill, or do you think that it's, this is a short-sighted? Yeah, I don't. This, I don't think it's the responsibility of the device companies per se to fund uh, the healthcare for this country. I think that there's we got to look at the whole system and there are I think many areas that could be improved that would make our our dollars more efficient if you will I mean I think today um, there is room to look at the more, more standardization around protocols or guidelines uh, there's a lot of variability in how care is delivered, uh, and I think some of the things that in the healthcare reform, the comparative effectiveness. I mean, there's a step in trying to get to more evidence-based approach to um, protocols or care pathways that have more, uh, you know, that, that that have been substantiated. So, that, I mean, there's a lot of money there. We we waste a lot of money because of defensive medicine. I mean, it was a pity that we didn't get at the tort reform uh, as a part of the health care reform. I think there is a, uh, I, I think there's some things that we need to do to, to create personal accountability that uh, where the public needs to, to take more responsibility for their health care and be held accountable. Is there anything, do you buy at all the notion that 30 million more insured people means 30 million more customers? Well, I, I think, you know, 32 million people is, I mean, it, it it's it's going to be, it's, it, it has to be at a positive. Obviously, 510K reform has been a big topic of discussion. Yeah. And this afternoon, I think he put it, is that your number one concern right now? Is I didn't say that, by the way. <laughs> well, you were talking about it. I didn't yeah. I think you said it. Well, no, in terms of if I look at the regulatory, I mean, if, if I think about what, and, and if I look at the, the, with the FDA, yes, right now the 510K is the top priority. It's, it's working with the FDA to ensure that the proposed sort of recommended changes, you know, don't have unintended consequences and that ultimately the, the things that they're going to change will make the process more predictable. It'll make it more transparent. I mean, most of, I mean, you, you spend a tremendous amount of money on regulatory. Uh, I mean, you have devices going in and out of the regulatory clearance and approval process yep. all the time. Um, 
you know, are, are you seeing the kind of thing that a lot of people are seeing in which the FDA is pushing back and saying on a 510K, you know, we need more, uh, a limited small clinical trial on this? I mean, are you seeing that where the rubber meets the road, or is it something that you don't see? Well, I think there's no question that we're, that uh, the requirement, the bar is, I, I wouldn't say the bar is being raised. I mean, there's no question that more and more devices, you know, are, are the FDA is requiring more and more evidence, you know, for kind of all devices, and it is, and in the time it's, it's taking longer to get products approved, and you know, and again, the big concern that we have is just the unpredictability. I mean, the fact that you do the things that you th you think you're supposed to do, and then you kind of get to the end point, and then you know, you, you get rejected. I don't know if you were there with the commissioner spoke this morning, but I made some remarks about the importance of advancing the field of regulatory science. Sure. And it's it's uh, something that, that I think we we need to work with the FDA on to make sure that stronger FDA, we have a regulatory, I mean, that the FDA has the skills and the tools to be able to prove devices more efficiently, faster, without compromising you know, their ultimate goal of safety. But in general, do you, do you support a stronger, uh, larger FDA? Absolutely. I, I wholeheartedly support the need for a strong, uh, centralized FDA. I would like to just delve a little bit more into your uh, acquisition philosophy. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about how you set the bar for what <coughs> is there in laying out strategic sort of plans, do you set the bar and say we want to get into these five spaces uh, and then sort of execute and search for those companies? Or Because, um, I mean, obviously right now you're one of the companies that has a tremendous amount of cash. You're in a great position to acquire the right technologies. Uh, well, as I said, we, we, where we start is um, we've identified a number of different chronic diseases where we have the infrastructure, uh, both from uh, being in front of the customer to, with resources to be able to partner to, uh, by bringing technologies and to address the issues. And we start by looking for complementary technologies that could that uh, would work alongside what we already have. Uh, to improve the, the outcomes of heart failure or diabetes. And so we're, you know, if you look at the cardiovascular space, I mean, we've, we've had a longstanding presence with the interventional cardiologists in treating coronary artery disease. And we, um, same thing, we've had a longstanding presence uh, with the cardiac surgeon with, uh, with heart valves. Um, and in the cardiac rhythm space, we've had a strong field presence to deal with the rhythm disorders, but there are a lot of areas that complement where we already are with, for example, technologies like atrial fibrillation or the transcatheter valves, I mean, which is kind of a bridge between the interventional side and the cardiac surgery side. So we're, um, you know, we first and foremost want to kind of leverage our existing if you will, footprint 
where we have people out there already talking about diseases, and then if we can if we can strengthen their bag with technologies, that's that's the first place we go for tuck-ins. I mean, you must be looking at a tremendous amount of deals just because of the way the market is, I and mean, there's so many companies that are yeah not in a great place cash-wise, and you know it's <coughs> a buyer's market. I mean, do you feel like you've been active enough in the past year? Or? I think we've been pretty active. I think if you just the track if you to, if you look at the number of deals that we've done with the ATSs, the Osteotechs, the Envitechs. Do you think all this consolidation is good for the industry? Um, yeah, I do. I mean, I think it, uh, for one, it, um, for people who are interested in funding early stage companies, I mean, there are, they are always considering what the exit strategy would be. And if there wasn't companies like Medtronic that were willing to, to, pay for value, then uh, we may not have as many startups as we have already. So I think it's a, I think it's it's healthy that we have the ability to to do these kind of acquisitions. And I think the consolidation is also good in being able to accelerate getting a lot of the smaller technologies to patients around the world by leveraging our global footprint. I've been reading a lot from analysts that say, you know, there's so many uh, people in the in the, cardiova- in the cardiovascular space competing, you know, in the stents and CRMs that you're experiencing some sort of price dilution. Are you? Is that an accurate? Picture? Oh, I mean, you think, the good news about this business is the market will still reward innovation. Look at what we're getting for endovascular grafts. Look what we're getting for transcatheter valves. I mean. I don't think that that's changed. The, the, I mean, it's not unlike a lot of industries. When you see products mature and differentiation narrows, price becomes you know, more of a basis of competition. But that's not, I mean, our, our industry has been characterized and our company has been characterized by discontinuous innovation, by you know, continuous innovation. I mean, we saw recently some analysts saying, you know, well, you know, ho-hum, what are they going to do next? I mean, well, they look at some of the large markets, the, the cardiac rhythm market, and there's, and then some people look at the stent market. And, but, I mean, if you look at what we've been able to do, I mean, we've been able to kind of reinvent ourselves and being able to continue to sort of almost to redefine that S-curve. I mean, I mean our, our cardiovascular business, for example, is... I mean, it's had remarkable growth. I mean, even in the last several years when others have faced a lot of headwinds. And it's because of the, we've been able to, you know, both organically as well as through being smart and, and identifying emerging technologies, you know, bring forth products which uh, enable, you know, which are, you know, that, that the market needs and, and Therefore, it helps our growth and, uh, and it continues to feed on our success. Do you ever sort of pinch yourself and say, God, I'm the boss of 35,000 people? <laughs> or 40,000 43,000. 43,000 people? Yeah. I mean, when you wake well, up in the morning, I mean, does I, that ever I, kind of sit, wait, wait, like dawn on you? Or? No. I mean, I, it's interesting. I, I've, I've always viewed myself as, uh, as, a, as a, a part of a team. And... Um, and, and I recognize, and I and I really 
I mean, I love what I do. I love this industry. I love this company. You know, I love this whole field. But uh, I have tremendous pride and, but at the same time, a lot of humility uh, for the role that I have. And um, but I, I'm not one that takes a lot of time to to sort of uh, relish in whatever because this is this is a journey and it's a it's a there's still so much left to do and and I again I view myself as a member of the team and it's not about me it's about us anything you want to add that I didn't no I mean I, 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 there's just been so much negative about this industry and I just think that you can't lose sight of just one I mean as I started I mean just the huge you know challenge is still left in front of us in terms of you know with the people that are suffering from chronic disease and who still today don't have access to what we have. And there's still so many areas like hypertension and uh, you know, chronic kidney failure. I mean, there's just there's so many areas that, that I think that where we need to continue to, to innovate, to bring forth better solutions. Uh, so, I mean, I, I want to make sure that we don't lose sight of just the tremendous opportunities that still exist for us to be able to make a difference. And as, a, and as I tell people, if we take care of, if we, if we do our job and bring forth innovation that's gonna help improve healthcare, I mean, this company will, and this industry will do extraordinarily well.